Amen. If I could title this text, continuing in our Best Bible Fights series, it would be Joseph versus his brothers. God fights for us even when our family doesn't. God fights for us even when our family doesn't. Let's pray. Father God, if we're honest, uh, many of us come from broken backgrounds uh, where our families of heritage are not ideal, uh, and many of the relationships that we find ourselves in are still broken and, 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 and strained for many various reasons. Um, but God, we're also thankful that your word is a word that applies to every area of our lives. And that in your word, we can find healing, and we can find comfort, and we can find instruction, and we can find passages such as this that we can relate to in our daily lives that give us hope for what our relationships with family members may look like in the future. And so, God, I pray you would encourage our hearts today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. There was a a movie that came out um, back in... uh, the 90s, I wanted to say back in the day, but that's not back in the day for uh, most people. Um, but there was a, new, a movie came out um, that wasn't really a good movie, but it was a movie nonetheless. Uh, and it was, it was starring uh, Marlon Wayans uh, and Kadeem Hardison, uh, which if you don't know who Kadeem Hardison is, you go back and watch A Different World, right? So Dwayne from A Different, did I lose y'all? That's before y'all time? Okay, all right. Um, but... Uh, you know if those two individuals are, you're like, if they're like the main actors, you know it's not a good movie, right? No, no disrespect, but it, it, that's not a good movie. Um, but anyway, I'll give you the plot. So uh, what happened is there, there's these two brothers. Uh, they, they grow up together really close. They're really good at basketball. They end up going to college and playing basketball in college. Uh, and one of the brothers uh, ends up dying after a game. So he dunks, they win the game, and he has a heart attack while he's hanging on the rim, ends up dying, right? And so it destroys his brother, uh, destroys the team. They start playing, uh, they start playing bad, uh, you know, can't kind of get themselves together because, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's something like that affects you. You know, a teammate dies like that. And so um, all of a sudden, you know, things just randomly start to happen, you know, and things start to work out for their favor, and they start winning games, and they can't realize, they don't, they don't understand what's, like, what's going, like, what's happening? There's some weird things happening here that we can't really put our fingers on, right? The, you know, the, they, they, they might throw a pass, and instead of it getting intercepted by the opposing team, it would kind of do a circle around that player and then underneath somebody else's legs and then go to the person they were trying to pass it to. Or, you know, if they shot an air ball, the ball would go sideways into the basket. Just, just crazy stuff. And so all these things were working out for them, and they couldn't put their, their finger on it until finally uh, they realized that the one brother had come back as a ghost. Uh, I told you this movie was terrible. Uh, but the, the one brother had come back as a ghost uh, and was basically, you know, working things out behind the scenes for their benefit, right? And that's what you find happening here uh, in this passage in, in, in Genesis chapter 37 is God is behind the scenes working things out uh, for Joseph's benefit, right? Uh, the, the difference is God is, is not a ghost, right? John 4, 24 says that God is, God is spirit. And, and, and unlike uh, the brother in, in the movie, when, when God purposes his will, it's not a, a selfish will. And typically, Pastor Larry, when, when God is working things out for your benefit, it usually has less to do with you and more to do with those who's going to be affected by what God is doing in your life, yeah. right? 
Uh, and so we find ourselves here in Genesis chapter 37, and uh, this begins the narrative, the 12-chapter the narrative of, of Joseph's life story. Uh, but, but I'll give you a little family background uh, history of the dysfunction that was going on uh, in this family. Joseph was the, the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of uh, Abraham. Uh, and Jacob had 12 boys, uh, probably a couple daughters. We know Dinah for sure, but, but he had 12 boys by four different women, Right? So Jacob was getting around a little bit, right? Now, he, he, he was married to all of them, but that doesn't mean he wasn't getting around a little bit, right? And so uh, one of his wives, Rachel, he loved the most, and he favored her. That was the, the initial uh, woman that he wanted to marry and had laid his affections on. Uh, and the Bible, the Bible de- describes Rachel as being beautiful both in appearance and in form, which means Rachel was bad, Right? <laughs> Like when the Bible goes out of its way, now mind you, if we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and says that like this is God breathed and it's coming from God, when, when the Bible says that she was beautiful, you know she was bad, yeah. right? And so Rachel, was, Rachel had it going on. And so Leah, you know, Laban, Laban, who was Jacob's uncle, tricks him into uh, marrying Leah, who was the older sister, and, and she wasn't as bad. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, he didn't like that too much. And so he loved Rachel, though. He loved Rachel. It didn't like uh, Leah as much. And so um, then, he, then they ended up giving their maidservants to him. Uh, and so uh, from this comes the 12 sons. Uh, now, uh, Joseph was born to Rachel. And early on, Rachel couldn't have children. She was barren. Right? And so uh, if you can imagine, Leah knows that she's not the favorite, but she has children first, which in that culture at that time was a big deal. Like you, you, your worth was tied to whether or not, especially as a woman, whether or not you could have children, especially male children. And so Leah begins having children. And so she starts, you know, whispering in, in Rachel's ear, like, I, I, know, I know he loves you, but you, you can't give him no kids. Like, I'm, I'm more important than you because what he really wants to happen, I can do for him, and you, you can't do that. What can you do, right? And so there's a lot of tension there. Mind you, there's sisters married to the same man, fighting for affections and, and love and affirmation and, and time. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, all of this is going on. Eventually, God opens Rachel's womb, and she has Joseph. Uh, and as we'll see in the text, Jacob favors Joseph and, and shows favoritism towards him. I, I would like to think it's because, because Rachel was the, the wife that he loved and because Joseph was the firstborn son of the wife that he loved, that he gave an a, a honor and a special affection to what he would consider his firstborn son, though technically he wasn't, right? And so we find ourselves here, Genesis chapter 37. Uh, look with me at verse number two. And Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his own age, of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Uh, just as a side note for parents, be very careful of how you show affection and love to your children. Be very careful of, of, of sh- lavishing upon one child over another special gifts and special priority and special honor because what happens is what you see here is they become those children who miss out on the love that, you're, that one child is receiving. They, become to, they, they begin to get embittered towards one another. 
And that's what you see happening here is, is the sons, they saw Joseph getting special gifts and getting special treatment. And, and now they begin to resent Joseph. They begin, the Bible says, to be jealous of him. And they, they hated him. And every time they spoke to him, they couldn't even talk to him without a condescending tone or a harsh voice. They, they, they couldn't help but just hate his very existence because they were wanting something from their father that their father didn't give them but only showed to Joseph. And so this is the, this is the backdrop of what, how this story starts and how Joseph relates to his family and, and the dynamics of what's going on. You have four women that have 12 different children, all living in the same, 12 different sons, all living in the same house. And there's one son out of the 12 that gets shown favoritism. And, and so there's a lot of infighting and bickering. And though even, jo- even though Jacob has a lot of money and he's rich, they still are a mess. And that brings me to my first point. Very simple. Sometimes our family does things that hurt us. Sometimes our family does things that hurt us. Look, look at the text, verse, verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were buying these sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, I don't know what story you heard about Joseph in Sunday school, uh, but, but Joseph was a little bit of a jerk. <laughs> not, not even a little bit. Like he, he, Joseph was an annoying little brother. Um, I mean, it's the way the Bible describes him, I might have sold him too. <laughs> I'm just being real. I'm just, y'all want me to keep it real. I'm going to keep it real. I might have sold him. I might have been in on it. Because when, 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 you, when you see what happens here, one, one Joseph has a dream. Um, but the Bible says that his brothers, in verse 8, didn't hate him just because he had the, the dream. This says, it says they hated him even more for his dreams. And what does it say next? And for his words. There was a posture that Joseph took towards his brother and the rest of his family that was full of pride and full of arrogance and full of entitlement, so much so that he raised himself above. He basically, he said, man, not only does our dad love me more, but man, y'all going, pretty soon I'm going to be above y'all. Y'all going to be bound down to me. Now, if you don't understand the context, this is a very disrespectful thing to say because, again, Joseph is the 11th son. He's at the bottom of the food chain as it relates to entitlement and honor and heritage. And so Simeon, who was the oldest brother, like that was his role. That was going to be passed on to him from their father. But here comes Joseph, the favorite annoying little son who's always in daddy's lap, who daddy loves so much, coming up and saying, man, I know I got it good. But one day, not only does our dad love me, but I'm going to rule over y'all. And there was, there was such a, a level of ignorance and arrogance that Joseph carried with himself that the brothers took note of his words, his actions, and, 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 and how he carried himself and how he related to them that made them hate him. Now, there's, there's two things I want you to see from this. One is don't expect everybody to be excited about what God is doing in your life. 
right? Now, now, Joseph had this dream, and even though it was true, his brothers weren't excited about the role that God was going to have him play and the role that they were going to play. Sometimes you can't share everything with everybody because not everybody's going to understand what God is doing. Number two, what you also see is the role that Joseph played in the perception that his brothers had of him. Sometimes the reason that you have difficulty in the relationships in your family is because of you. Sometimes you stand in your own way to having peaceful, healthy relationships, right? See, Joseph here, because of his posture, because of his words, because he played into the favoritism, the favoritism that his dad showed, he didn't help the situation. Now, Joseph would have found himself in a different situation relationally with his brothers had he, had he kind of rejected the favoritism his dad was showing, had he been more humble and more meek towards his brother. But that wasn't Joseph. Joseph was like, man, I got it good. I don't know about y'all. I really don't care about y'all, but I'm getting coats that, that's colorful. You know what I mean? I got green and blues in mine. You still got that raggedy brown, you know? Like, jo- Joseph is living it up, and he's letting them know. He's letting them know how much more loved he is, how much more favored he is. And so there's times in your life and situations in your family where where because of how you carry yourself, like people don't want to hear anything from you. There's sometimes in your life because of how you say things and, and how you word certain things and just the attitude in your heart that you have towards individuals in your family that they don't want anything to do with you. I find myself in a, in a situation currently that's, uh, a little bit like that. I had a family member who uh, got into a little bit of a trouble, uh, and, and they reached out for some help, and uh, after some, some, some careful prayer and consideration, I decided that I wasn't going to help, right? And it wasn't that I couldn't help, but I, like, I didn't feel the Lord was calling me to help purposefully, uh, and I knew that they were going to be mad about that. I, I was expecting it, right? And so sure enough, as soon as they got the opportunity, uh, they called me, and they, they cussed me out, I don't know about y'all, but I don't like getting cussed out, right? I know I'm a Christian, and I'm supposed to respond in love, but that just brings up pre-Jesus days in me that just makes me want to go off and say something. Um, and so by, by God's grace, I was able to hold my tongue. Now, a family member had called before that, and I wasn't prepared for it, and I didn't hold my tongue as well. And so I had to go back and repent. Uh, but in this situation, my, uh, uh, something that, that that person said to me, they said, they said you know what, man, you're selfish, you only think about yourself. You only care about yourself. That's why nobody mess with you. Now, they didn't say mess. They said another word, but they said, they said that's why nobody mess with you because you're selfish, man. And for me, I'm hearing this, and because I know it's not true, you know, I'm, I'm, the only thing I could do really was laugh to myself. I was like, man, this is, like, I can't believe the situation you're in, and you're going to tell me I'm selfish, right? Uh, but I'm, so I'm laughing to myself, but then, but then after time went on, the Lord has kept those words in my mind and in the back of my heart. You're selfish. You only care about yourself, right? And it'd be easy just to kind of to let that go because I know it's not true. Um, but, but sometimes, as a peacemaker, you've got to do the introspective work of asking questions that even if you deem them not to be true, you've got you've to extend the olive branch to say, man, even though I disagree with you, let me hear you out. Because there's something about the perception that you have of me that may be valid that I don't want to write off just because I don't believe what you're saying, yeah. right? And so, so God calls us, God calls us, God, God, God calls us to do the extra work of some introspective, like, man, what have I done all that I can do to be at peace 
with this person? Have, have I heard them out in a way that, that validates not necessarily that what they're saying is true, but that they, that they do have a true opinion? Yeah. Right. This situation, it, it, it also reminded me of the movie Lion King, you know, which I, I watched a couple weeks ago with my kids. And, you know, in, in that movie, at the beginning of the movie, Mufasa is, is taking Simba around and he, showing him the land and explaining what life is going to be like when you become king. Right? And he's explaining the circle of life to, to Simba. And he says, man, there's a, there's a system at work here. Right? The, the, the antelope eat the grass, and, and we eat the antelope. And, and when we die, our bodies go into the ground, and the antelope eat us. Now, I, I don't know about Mufasa's theology, but I understood what he was saying. Right? And so he, he, was, he was taking that time to teach his son and, and disciple him and prepare him for what it was going to be like to be a king. Now, you can tell what happened in Simba's mind because shortly after that was the song, uh, I, can't, I Just Can't Wait to Be King, right? Now, now, what was he saying in that song? He said, man, I'm going to do what I want. Nobody's saying do this. <laughs> saying do that, right? <laughs> Go here. Nobody's saying stop that. Like, all that stuff, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know the song, right? But the whole, the whole point of the song was, man, I can't wait to, to be king because then nobody can tell me what to do. I don't have to be responsible to anybody, right? Now, now, what happened next after that conversation was Simba went to where Scar was. Uh, and because Simba was a brash, arrogant, ignorant little kid, and he didn't understand the situation uh, relationally of what was happening, he went into Scar and he's like, man, Scar, guess what? My pops just told me and showed me all of, of what I'm going to get when I become king. And once I become king, what's that going to make you? Right? Y'all missed that in the movie. Y'all was in awe, right? So, like, and so not knowing that Scar was already jealous of his dad and him for what was coming to him. And so now that pushed Scar even further to the edge of saying, man, I got to get rid of this dude. Because once I get him out the way, then I can get some props. Then I can be seen as valuable. And that's what's happening here. Joseph's brothers are like, man, once we get him out the way, then maybe we'll get some attention. Maybe we'll receive some affection. Maybe we'll be noticed for the value that we inherently have that's, not, that's being undermined because of this brash, ignorant little kid. Right? And so it goes on. And Joseph's brothers scheme one day as he's coming to them, and uh, he said, they say, man, let's just kill the dude. Let's get rid of him. Like, we, can, we can make this look like an accident. Right? It wasn't no, ain't no, ain't no cameras back in the day. Like, ain't nobody carrying around cell phones, video and stuff no more. Like, it's not going to shoot up on Instagram or Facebook and go viral, right? They can get away with killing somebody, right? So they're like, man, let's kill him. And so they throw him into a pit. And then uh, Reuben said, well, Reuben says, don't kill him, just throw him into the pit. Because Reuben's like, I'm the big brother. I'm, a, I'm just going to take him when they're not looking, take him back to dad. When he's in the pit, Reuben's somewhere. The Bible doesn't say where he is, but he's not there. Um, but Judah says, you know what? This ain't profitable. Why are we going to kill him? We can make some money, right? We can make some money off of this. Why kill him? So they see some Ishmaelite traders coming from Gilead down to Egypt. And they say, man, let's sell him there. That way we can, we can fake his death and make some money. Now, what's crazy about this is not only is Joseph being sold by his brothers, but he's being received and bought by his cousins, the Ishmaelites, if you don't know, Ishmael was the son of, of, of Abraham, 
the uncle of Jacob, who now has his children, they cousins. Their, the brothers are selling their brother to their cousins to go into slavery. This is how messed up this family is in the family dynamics. So they sell them. They make their way down to Egypt. And J- Joseph finds himself in Potiphar's house. Now, you would think that in, in the difficulty of what Joseph had to experience. Later on in the Bible, it says that, that, that he was crying and begging them not to do it, and they ignored his pleas. And so you can imagine how difficult it is to be forcibly stripped from your family to, to go in, into a, a new country uh, in a language that you don't know and food that you've never experienced, being alone and abandoned and rejected. And you would say, how in the world is God in that? Where is God in that? And yet in the midst of his difficulty, in the midst of his affliction, you, you can see the hand of God with Joseph. How, how do we know that? Well, he ends up in the house of Potiphar, who, uh, who is the commander-in-chief in, in Pharaoh's army. And the Bible says that, that there was so, the hand of God was so on Joseph, he gained the favor of Potiphar so much so that, that he was second in command in Potiphar's house. There was no one in Potiphar's house that had more authority than Joseph, and he was a slave, right? And so what happens is he's, he's working there. He's faithful. He's spending time there. Uh, and, and one day, Potiphar's wife sees him. You know, he's probably working, got his shirt off. It's hot outside. So he's glistening, muscles glistening in the sun while he's, you know, pushing stuff. You know, you see the flexing going on, and, and she's just looking at him. She's just looking at him. And so she decides to go on her cougar ministry, right? And she starts, she's, she starts hollering, she starts hollering at Joseph. And she's like, yo, Joseph, come lie with me. Day, the Bible says day after day, Joseph, come lie with me. Come get some of this. Come, you know you want some. Come on, Joseph, we can do it, right? I know, come on, don't act like y'all don't. Come on, man. I, come on, man. Trying to give y'all a modern translation. Y'all better stay with me. And so one day, so Jace, jo- Joseph keeps turning her down, like, nah, nah, I'm good. He says to her, he says, man, like, nothing in, in Potiphar's house is off limits to me except you. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to disrespect my master, and I'm not going to sin against God. So one day she decides, well, man, I'm going to just take it then. So she forcibly tries to force him to lay with her. Uh, but he escapes, leaves his coat there, and then she accuses him of rape. All right? She accuses him, and he goes to her husband, man, he raped me. So now, not only has Joseph experienced the, the, just the difficulty of being ripped away from his family and his culture and being forced into slavery, but now he's been falsely accused of rape. And you're going to tell me the Lord is still with him? Yeah, yeah, yes he is. Watch, now watch this. There's a part of me that believes that Potiphar didn't really believe his wife all the way. Otherwise, Joseph would have been killed as a slave. So the fact that Potiphar spared his life and only put him in prison was the grace of God and the, the hand of the Lord was on him. Secondly, the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was on him in the prison so much so that he had favor amongst all the guards, right? Joseph was running the prison, right? He was, he was doing prison ministry, right? And he wasn't, he wasn't taking over with shanks and stuff. He wasn't like sharpening toothbrushes and, and shanking dudes in the, in the lunchroom and all that, right? But, but because of the godly man that Joseph was, because of his faithfulness, because of his humility, God granted him a favor 
that exalted him, even in the midst of trying difficulty, right? And so that happens. And then as Joseph is in prison, he comes in contact with one of Pharaoh's bakers and one of Pharaoh's cupbearers. And they have dreams, and Joseph begins to interpret these dreams for them. Uh, And he tells the the cupbearer, he says, in three days, you'll be restored back to your position. To the bread maker, he says, in three days, you're going to die. My bad, just the messenger. And, and so what he said happens, happens, right? But he tells the cupbearer, he says, man, when you get out, like, keep your ball in mind. Like, make sure you tell Pharaoh about me because I'm trying to get up out of here, right? So he, the cupbearer goes back, forgets about Joseph. So some time passes. Pharaoh has two dreams. He's calling all of his wise men and magicians to come interpret these dreams. Nobody can do it. And that, that's when the cupbearer remembers, man, it's a dude in prison that interpreted my dream. So he goes to Pharaoh. He's like, man, you remember when you threw me in prison? Yeah, it was a dude that let me know I was going to be right back here. You should check him out. <laughs> right? So Pharaoh calls Joseph. He says, man, let me holler at the bull. So he calls. He calls. That's what he said, right? So he, he, so, so he calls Joseph. Joseph comes. He says, the two dreams you had are not two dreams, but one. He said, the, the, the land, the region is going to go through a, a famine that the world has never seen before. The famine is going to last seven years. But before that famine lasts seven years, there's going to be seven years of plenty and surplus. So what I suggest you do is put somebody over managing uh, the years of surplus to, so that you can fill the storehouses and you have enough for when the, the season of, of, of famine comes, right? And, and Pharaoh's like, man, I already found my man. So Joseph goes from being sold into slavery, accused of rape, in prison, to second in command in Egypt, Now, one thing I want you to keep in mind is this hardship that Joseph was experiencing wasn't for an evening, and it wasn't for a weekend, and it wasn't for a month. Joseph left his house when he was 17. He didn't come into Pharaoh's service until he was 30. That's 13 years of being isolated and alone. That's 13 years of hard, difficult, just life. 13 years. So Joseph goes about managing well the, the, what's, been, what's going on in Egypt during the, the years of surplus. He's filling the storehouses. And, and so the seven years of, pl- of surplus pass. And now we're two years into the famine. Now let's go back to Jacob's house. Jacob uh, and his family are still alive. They're still living uh, in the land of Canaan. And he sends his sons up and he says, listen, you got to go up to Egypt and get some grain because if not, we're going to die. That's how bad the famine was. It was so bad that, I mean, loss of life in that region was probably in, in very high numbers. And so he said, man, go get some grain. If you don't get it, we're going to die. So they come in. By that time, Joseph is, is almost 40 years old. It's 22 years later. He hasn't seen his family in 22 years. He hasn't talked to his family in 22 years. He doesn't know if they're alive. He doesn't know what's happened to them. 22 years later, after he's been sold into slavery, guess who shows up on his doorstep? His 10 brothers. Now, I don't know about you, but if if I was sold into slavery by my brothers and then I saw them unexpectedly, 
after 22 years, I'm not quite sure how I would respond. I don't know if the the Christian, God-fearing, gentle, patient man that that I want to be would come out in that moment. I think I'd be a little harsh to him. Being that I'm, I'm second in command in Egypt, I have the power to do with them as I please. And yet that's not what you see Joseph do. So he, he begins talking to them a little bit to, to try to, like, they don't recognize him even though he recognizes them. So he begins to talk to them to see how they respond, mess with them a little bit. So he asks them about, you know, who else is at home. So they say a, a father and, and the little brother, Benjamin. And so, uh, and so eventually he keeps Simeon with him and says, I think you're spies. Now go get your younger brother. Now mind you, Benjamin was his younger brother, uh, the, his only full, full-blooded brother from both his mother and father. And so he missed his brother. The, Benjamin was the only one who didn't sell him out. So he says, man, I want to see my brother. He didn't tell him this at the time, but he says, I think you're spies. I'm going to keep Simeon here. When you bring back your other brother, then I'll know you're not spies. So they come back over some course of time. They, they bring Benjamin back, and Joseph still is kind of messing with them a little bit. Just, just messing with them to see how they'll respond. And then it just gets too overwhelming for him to continue to hide his identity. Which brings me to my next point. Point number two. God wants us to forgive our family even when they don't deserve it. Chapter 45. Look what it says. Chapter 45, verse 1. It says this. Then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud till the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph who? So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And then they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now listen to what he says in verse five. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Listen to what he says. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you see Joseph's response? No, no, no. Now, you don't just get here. You, you You don't just get here. This is years of being isolated where the only person you can talk to is God. The only person you can depend on is God. The only person that can comfort you is God. The only person that can be a friend is God. You don't just show up here at the, at the door of forgiveness. Jesus had to do a work in his heart so that when he saw the faces of his brother, he could say, it's good. It wasn't you that sent me here. It was the Lord. See, Joseph, had, he had a chance to step back and, and, and view the circumstances of his situation and say, man, man if, if, 
if I had not been in Egypt right now, then, then a lot of people would have died. And in order for me to be in Egypt, I had to be in jail so that I would have, I, I would have shared the dream of what this cupbearer had. And if I wasn't in jail, like in order for me to be in jail, I had to be accused of rape by Potiphar. And in order to be accused of rape by Potiphar, I had to be sold to Potiphar's house. And in order to be sold by Potiphar's house, I had to have been doing something crazy with my family. And he says, it wasn't you. Forget about it. It was the Lord. See, see, see here God is God is calling them to and calling us to in, in, the, in those seasons of, of isolation, in those seasons of difficulty, in those seasons where life just isn't going your way. He's saying, sometimes I want you to go through some affliction so that way when I exalt you, you'll be prepared for the task that I have for you to do. So sometimes, sometimes we've got we've to lift our eyes from our circumstance to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. Those, those years in, in, in Potiphar's house, those, those years in prison, those, those weren't wasted years. See, God was, God was shaping him and, and forming him and changing his heart and changing his mind. And, 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 and the, the boy that left Canaan at 17 is not the man that you see standing before you at 40 because there was a work of God transforming Joseph. So that by the time he stood in front of his brothers, he could say to them, I, I know that you did what you did, but you were merely a vessel of why God wanted to bring me here so that I could be a blessing to you and to others. And so Joseph eventually brings his whole family from Canaan over to Egypt, and they settle on the land of Goshen, and, uh, and uh, they're there about 17 years, and then uh, Jacob uh, eventually dies. And after Jacob dies, uh, something very interesting happens. Uh, the brothers, uh, they, they, they say to themselves, or I'll, I'll read it for you. I'll, I'll read it for you. This actually brings me to my, my third and final point, and then I'll be out your way. God you can use what our family meant to hurt us for our good and theirs. God can use what our family meant to hurt us for our good and for theirs. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, this is what it says. It says, when Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now that's a very different, that's a very different Joseph than the one we read about in Genesis 37 who's arrogant and harsh and they're offended by his words. The Bible says that he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
right? And oftentimes, I know uh, Joseph probably might have been a little frustrated by their response because he said, man, I know that all of that happened in the past, but you've now been around me for 17 years, and you've seen how my life has changed. You've seen how my posture has changed. You've seen how my attitude towards you has changed, and yet you still hold on to the man that I used to be. And I know sometimes in our lives you experience things that go on with your family where even though uh, uh, you may have changed and your life may have been transformed by the power of the gospel, your family still holds on to who you used to be. And I know it's frustrating uh, at times, but uh, one of the things that that, that I know is that uh, God's word promises a lot of things, but one thing that it doesn't promise is that you'll have a family uh, that's perfect. Sometimes we live in a world, we have this idealism that our family relationships are always going to be the greatest. That, that dad is going to be in the house. That, that, that mom isn't going to leave you as a, a latchkey kid. That your siblings are always going to understand you or appreciate you or, or show you love. And, and unfortunately, because of sin, that's not how this works. Many, many, many of you are... are feel robbed because your fathers haven't lived up to the responsibility that God gave them. Many of you feel robbed because moms just haven't fit the bill. Many of you feel robbed because you've been offended and hurt and, 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 and accused by family and maligned and rejected by family. You've been, you've been, uh, 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 been uh, gossiped on and you've been hated against and you've been dealt unkindly to. And many of you are holding on uh, to, to hurts. You have siblings that are so distant from you, they don't even really feel like family. But, but, but I'm so glad that my Bible says that, that, that when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. That, that I'm so glad that my Bible says that, that, that Jesus and uh, that God the Father is a, a father to the fatherless, that, that, that he's a friend who sticks closer than the brother, that, that, that as a friend he's so faithful and he's so loving and his love is so great that there's nothing greater than you can do as a friend than lay down your life, which is what Jesus did. That's why the old psalm says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. It says, but what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So, oh, he's, he's such a friend, a good friend. But you know, Jesus, Jesus was the better Joseph. See, jo- Joseph, Joseph was, was wrongly accused, and, and, and so was Jesus was wrongly accused, and Joseph was betrayed, and Jesus was also betrayed. Joseph was alienated from his family, and Jesus on the cross said, My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was alienated from his God and Father, who he had complete and perfect union with from everlasting to everlasting. And, and he, was, he, he withstood the alienation that God had to do when he turned his back because the sin that was on us was placed on Jesus. And he, he did it so that you could be brought into a family with God, the, the perfect family, the, the family that never lets you down. The family that never disappoints you. The family that shows perfect love. The family that's committed to you. Jesus said, he said, in order for you to have the kind of family that you deserve and the kind of family that you know you should have, there's only one that exists. And in order for you to experience that, I have to die. 
so that you can be adopted by a loving father who the Bible says you have such an intimate relationship with, you can call him Abba. You have open access. Even when he's working, you can always go into his room and say, Daddy, I need you. That's why Peter says the throne room of grace is open. It says come boldly. See, a, a loving father doesn't shut his kids out even when he's busy. He says, you, you can come to me. You can stand before me. I, I want to hear what's going on with you. I, I want to know what's happening in your life. He says, even when you disappoint me, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'll, I'll be right there by your side. I'm here to tell you today, no matter what's happened in your family, no matter what you've been discouraged by, no matter what has gone or not gone your way, you have a father in Jesus. And he's, he's calling out to you today and he's, he's saying, come, be a part of my family. If nobody else wants you, I want you. If nobody else wants to, to tell you your value and worth, if nobody else wants to give you an identity, he, listen, I got worth for you in my presence. I have value for you in my presence. I have peace for you in my presence. I have joy for you in my presence. That's why his word says that his right hand is the fullness of joy and our pleasures forevermore. He says, everything that you need is with me. Come be a part of my family. That's the call today. Even, even when our fa family, even though we fight with our families, and sometimes they don't look the way they should. You have, a, you have a God who's in your corner that's saying, despite what happens and what you're going through, I love you. And I'm here for you. And I'm behind you. And you can call me dad. Let's pray.